Well, happy Easter. This is Easter. This is the Orthodox Easter, when the Orthodox Church celebrates. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes they coincide. Sometimes I, we've never, I've never really figured out why we have the floating date for Easter, but Easter seems like it was ages ago. Um, I had a rather strange thing happen in my life where uh, we celebrated Easter in this church, and, uh, and then I had the good fortune to go to Bethlehem, where I celebrated Easter in the Church of the Nativity, the next Sunday. So it was like celebrating Easter twice, the, the Western Church and the Eastern Church. And some of you maybe remember that. I thought, that's just fascinating. Anyway, happy Easter. We picked an Easter song, actually, for the first hymn, so very apropos. This also happens to be May Day. And I learned something uh, about May Day recently. That the, the word Mayday, you know, it's an international signal of distress. Mayday, 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 three times uh, for aviators and sea, seamen and so on. Um, and uh, before that, it was just the Morse code, SOS, right? But I always thought Mayday, I always thought of Mayday, you know, like Mayday. But uh, it's actually French. Do you know that? It's a, Mayday means, uh, well, essentially it means to help me in French. Help me, help me, help me. So... So when you're, when you're in, in distress, mayday, 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 you're speaking French. <laughs> you see, you stick around me and you're going to learn all kinds of interesting things. About just think of all the things Valin knows. Just, just, <laughs> uh, oh, that's a scary thought. She, she knows me all too well. Where is she? She left. <laughs> Oh, there you are. Oh, I love you, dear. Um, the Gospel of Mark, the uh, 10th chapter, beginning at verse 46. Then Jesus and the disciples came to Jericho, and as together uh, they were with a large crowd leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in the living word who is Jesus. Lord, we want to follow, follow you. And so this morning, may we be all ears. Speak to us afresh. And then, Lord, may we go forth to serve you as your disciples. In your name we pray. Amen. It must be really challenging to be blind in a, in a sighted world. 
to be unable to see what most people see. Unless we know a blind person, we know little about their particular difficulties or feelings or dreams. Jesus cared deeply for the blind. They so often appear in Scripture stories. He healed them. He sent them on their way rejoicing. Jesus understood that this was all an integral part of his healing ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And when a doubting John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus to inquire whether he really was the Messiah, the Lord said, go and tell John what you see, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. But who are the blind Jesus came to heal? The physically blind, to be sure. But there is a greater tragedy than physical blindness. Blindness of the heart. Someone once asked Helen Keller an impertinent question, isn't it terrible to be blind? And her response was classic. Better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Many have 20-20 eyesight but yet are blind to the needs and to the potential of others. We have perfect physical vision, but no love. There's a little jingle that goes like this. A beggar stood on a sunlit street probing for the kind. Life for you must be so sweet, but it's spring, and I am blind. One walked by whose eyes were keen, scaled 20-20 by the chart, On him was lost the entire scene because of blindness in the heart. Blindness in the heart afflicts us all. But Jesus Christ can heal you and me just as surely as he healed that blind man outside Jericho. Now, this man in our story had two strikes against him. For one thing, he was a beggar, and towns and villages were full of them. Unable to make a living for themselves, they would wait along the highway, along the main road for passers-by, hoping that people would be generous. And though a few remembered their obligation to care for the poor, most people simply ignored them. And then, of course, the second strike against him was that he was reduced, because he was reduced to, to, uh, to begging, it was because of his blindness. Because when one suffered blindness, there was always the implication that that person must have sinned big time to have such a condition. So it was natural to look down on these blind people, sinners. They somehow disgraced themselves, and so they were shunned. People like the blind man in our story tend to become non-people. You don't even notice them after a while. They just sort of blend into the scenery. But one day, Jesus approached the desert town of Jericho. He was on his last journey to Jerusalem, where, as he predicted, he would be killed and on the third day be raised again. And all this was undoubtedly heavy on Jesus' heart as he walked along. He was, in a sense, carrying the weight of the entire world. He had the world's most important agenda to fulfill. He would die for the sins of all humanity. But the beautiful thing is that even though Jesus had all of humanity in mind, he noticed this one particular blind man alongside the road, and he stopped 
when he cried out for help. The cry of this one man had stopped the Lord of life, stopped the Lord dead in his tracks. Jesus stopped when no one else would bother. Jesus, full of compassion, gave him his undivided attention and gave him what he most desired, his eyesight back. Now, here is the $60,000 question. Who is the blind in this story? The poor beggar may be blind physically, but his spiritual vision is 20-20. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Significantly, he understands who Jesus is. He uses the messianic title, the son of David. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus can do. So he cries out, and he won't be stopped. He cries out. He was not afraid to call upon Jesus in faith and trust. He sees Jesus for who he truly is. The religious people, of the, the, that is the, the, uh, the leaders, religious leaders of, of the people, on the other hand, the scribes and the Pharisees, though physically able to see, are spiritually blind to the truth about Jesus. They're opposing him at every turn, as we have seen in our study of the Gospel of Mark. They were no doubt present that day. There in the crowd, surely they scoffed as Jesus went to talk and to heal this blind beggar. And then there were those who were leading the parade into Jericho, perhaps the disciples of Jesus, who were busy making a way for, for for the teacher to go through, maybe pushing people aside. They show their spiritual blindness as well when they try to quiet the blind, the, the blind beggar. And they apparently did so in a very rude way. Mark says, they rebuked him and told him to shut up. They were galled that this blind beggar should make a scene and trouble the master. They wanted him to fade back into the scenery, back where he belongs. They were all blind to this man's need but not Jesus. And this is the beautiful thing about our Lord. He sees those whom everyone else overlooks and shows compassion and concern when no one else does. He has the capacity to see the invisible in people. He can see beyond the outward appearance and can find potential for wholeness and transformation within. So that he sees and values women in a day when women were often treated as pieces of property. He sees them as a real human being. Imagine that. Jesus sees and blesses children in a day and age when children were often ignored and not valued that much. He sees and touches lepers whom everyone else shunned. He sees the beggars in the streets and his compassion upon them when everyone else has ignored them. shows compassion. Jesus can see people as they really are, looking beyond the dirty exterior to the inner beauty of people, calling it forth, and lives are changed and transformed by the power of that love. If only you and I could see people as Jesus sees them. But you and I struggle with spiritual blindness. We fail to see others clearly. 
We often view people as objects to be used and manipulated rather than as real persons to be treasured and valued loved. We see only outward appearances and fail to see people as they really are on the inside. We fail to look beneath the surface to see their unexpressed need and potential. And so we have a tendency to dismiss others. And so we ignore them or we judge them. We label them. We stereotype them. We see around them and through them, but we don't really see them. There's a story about the late comedian Joan Rivers. Remember Joan? She was quite a character, actually. She had been fitted for contact lenses, and the first night she, she used them while performing, she saw the audience for the first time in years. And it spooked her, scared her to death. And so she actually excused herself. She went back behind the stage, took the contacts off, and then came out to entertain the people uh, who were a faceless blur. But see, she preferred it that way. (laughs) And that's not unlike many of us spiritually. Our image of others tends to be kind of a faceless blur. We like it that way. We're freed of the responsibility to love, to really care in practical ways. You know, right now, I actually don't see you. You're a faceless blur to me. (laughs) I look in the back. I look above you. If I was to look right in your eyes, you'd scare me to death. (laughs) It's a homiletical technique I was taught in seminary, actually. Don't look at the people. (laughs) Just look above them. So who are the people you and I tend to ignore? Who do we so easily dismiss and categorize in the blindness of our heart? So how about the young? We often fail to take them seriously and dismiss them because they're so uninformed and inexperienced and idealistic. Can it be that our children have something to teach us? Can it be that they actually want our full attention from time to time? In Thornton Wilder's play, Our Town, there's a scene where a young woman is allowed to return from the dead to her own home. She stands at the age of 16 right before her mother and says, Mother, can you look at me just once and really see me? Or how about those with disabilities? Do we turn a blind eye to them? Do they just kind of fade into the background, the scenery, ignoring their contributions? Or or do we see the the beauty and the treasure within them? and see them as valuable people in their own right. Or how about the poor? We tend to view the poor as a faceless mob, and we justify our own inaction by saying, well, what can I do with so many? Which I think is one reason why such child sponsorship uh, programs as Compassion International or World Vision are so valuable. Because for now, now, the the poor is not just a a faceless blur, but we, we see one face. And uh, whatever monetary help we offer becomes suddenly very practical, very real, very concrete. Sometimes, as you know, we dismiss whole races and uh, nations or ethnic groups, those who are different than we are, negatively stereotyping them. Do we ignore the aged? Do we take them seriously? Do you bother to think they might have anything to say? The elderly often feel that they are looked upon as worn out and of no further importance as people who are irrelevant. 
who no longer really have anything to apply to today. It's kind of a tragedy in our culture. The elderly are not valued. In some cultures, the elderly are considered to be national treasures. But here, you know, we tend to just kind of push them aside. We warehouse people. There was an old woman who uh, died at a nursing home in Scotland some years ago. and She left nothing of value, but in going through her very few possessions, the nurses found a poem she had written, and here is part of it. This gets to me every time. She writes, What do you see, nurses? What do you see? What are you thinking when you're looking at me? A crabby old woman, not very wise, uncertain of habit with faraway eyes. I'm a small child of ten with a mother and father, brothers and sisters who love one another. A bride in her twenties, my heart gives a leap, remembering the vow that I promised to keep. A woman of thirty, my young now grow fast, bound to each other with ties that should last. At forty, my sons have grown and have gone, but my man is beside me to see I don't mourn. At fifty, once more, babies play around my knees. Again, we know children, my husband and me. I'm an old woman now, and nature is cruel. Tis her jest to make old age look like a fool. The body, it crumbles. Grace and vigor depart. There is now a stone where I once had a heart. But inside this old carcass, a young girl still dwells. And now and again, my battered heart swells. I remember the joys, and I remember the pains, and I'm loving and living life over again. I think of the years all too few, gone too fast, except the stark fact that nothing can last. So open your eyes, nurses, open and see. Not a crabbed old woman, look closer, see me. I actually think um, that's one of the functions, I was just thinking, uh, one of the functions of chaplains in a hospital and I, I served as one, and, and, and uh, you know, you got all the technical people, you got the nurses and the doctors, and they're all doing their thing. And, and, uh, but, the, but the great thing about a chaplain is that they sit down, and they try to really see you as a human being, not as some poor person who's got a disease. And we're reminded as chaplains that these people are storied beings, Every person has a story to tell. And there's something about reminding people of their personal stories, their history, that makes them feel valued and treasured. So I'm all in favor of chaplains at hospitals. Sometimes it feels really uncomfortable because chaplains, I guess you could say, they don't do anything. (laughs) They just go and they listen. Um, and sometimes, you know, chaplains can feel like they're kind of irrelevant, therefore, but that's precisely the point. Yeah, they're technically irrelevant, but they're there to value a human being. I think that's love, actually. J.M. Barry, the Scottish novelist and creator of Peter Pan, once wrote, Love, it is said, is blind, but love is not blind. It's an extra eye which shows us what is most worthy of regard. 
To see the best is to see most clearly, and it is the lover's privilege. Love is seeing, truly seeing another human being and affirming their infinite worth. It's to look for the hidden beauty and calling it forth, bringing it out through our care and concern, and such love brings transformation. I think of uh, Annie Sullivan, the teacher who sought to reach out to a child who was totally deaf and mute from the age of 19 months. You know, most of you would know that I'm talking about Helen Keller. And the story is told so well on stage and in the movie The Miracle Worker. And uh, as you probably know, uh, Patty Duke, who played uh, Helen in The Miracle Worker, recently passed away. She played that role so beautifully. And, uh, and we think that maybe she also played Ann Sullivan later in a remake, right? She was, uh, Patty Duke was really a talented person. But this little girl, Helen, seemed hopelessly locked inside of herself. And many in their blindness of heart would have simply dismissed her as a hopeless case. Unable to talk or to see or to hear, she had become a hostile, untamed, rebellious animal. But with tough love, Annie Sullivan fought her way into Helen's life and released from the prison of herself one of the most beautiful and gifted women of all time. Annie Sullivan could see with her heart. So what do you and I see? Can you and I see beneath the surface of people? Can you say about people what Michelangelo said about blocks of marble? I can see an angel in each block of marble waiting to be set free. So Jesus had the capacity to truly see others. Yes, he could see all their their frailties and their sins and and so on. But he also saw that which was also beautiful in them. Jesus had the capacity to truly see others, and the good news is that we can too. He can heal us of our spiritual blindness just as surely as he healed blind Bartimaeus of his physical blindness. Bartimaeus, aware of his need and knowing who Jesus was and what he could do, cried out to Jesus for help, and his cry stopped the Lord of life. And when Jesus asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. I want to see And the Lord healed him right then and there, gave him his eyesight back, and complimented him for his faith. And Bartimaeus went on to become a disciple of Jesus. And interestingly, he is the only person healed by Jesus in the the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, the only person healed by Jesus who is named. Did Bartimaeus go on to become a leader in the church? Perhaps. As far as Jesus is concerned, every person is named. Jesus comes to you and to me this morning, and he asked what he asked Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? In faith and in trust, let us ask for healing for our spiritual blindness. 
Let us ask for the ability to see God and those for whom Christ died more clearly, such that we will want to love and serve them. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts so that we may truly see and love others even as you have seen and loved us. Amen.